They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a cat subscription box service full of surprises delivered to your door every month and stay tuned later in the show for a very special offer just for our listeners courtesy of Meowbox. And with that being said, I am Chad and as always I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. John, what a show we have in store today. Hey, yo, yeah, it's an action-packed uh, full show. It's going to be a damn good one, guaranteed. Guaranteed and personified. But I hate to say, you know, the corny, the weekend with the dragon, but that's what this show is all about, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who will be joining us later in the show. But before we get to the epic conversations we had with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, let us talk about our first guest in the batter's box, and that is Greg Price of the NWA Legends Fan Fest coming up uh, right around the corner. Um, NWA Legends Fan Fest has basically become a go-to event for wrestling fans over the past 10 years, and Greg Price has pretty much outdone himself this time by putting together a documentary about uh, the NWA Legends, and he tells us all about it. And basically, John, you know, you've been uh, going back and forth with him, and the documentary's got a huge premiere at the Fan Fest itself. But what's your uh, take on the whole situation? I think that the documentary is such a great idea. It's just awesome uh, to get a documentary because you know WWE was never going to make one. Basically, um, it's obviously it's on the Mid Atlantic area. It's called the Mid Atlantic Memories, and the guest list, if you will, the stars of the DVD are just amazing. I mean, you got Tully, uh, you got some Dusty Rhodes on there, you got some Jim Ross, you got Cornette, you got Steamboat. I mean, the list goes on and on and on forever. It's just unbelievable. It's a great idea, and it's just something that WWE was never going to put out. And if you're a true fan, especially from that era, or, or you like that time period, where you like, you know, uh, events that were held in North Carolina, Virginia, you know, that Mid-Atlantic area. I want to check out Mid-Atlantic Memories, awesome DVD. And um, and you're going to want to check out the Fan Fest as well, because there's not just autograph signings going on, there's a ton of other things happening. Oh, yeah, the greatest of all time, the Honky Talk Man, the inter- excuse me, the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, the Honky Talk Man will be there, Scott Steiner's going to be there, Road Warrior Animal, you mentioned Jim Ross. He'll be doing an evening with Jr. Uh, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood are being honored at the uh, the banquet, the Heroes and Legends dinner. Uh, man, I mean, Jim Cornette's going to be there. It's a huge event. It's been going on for 10 years. Greg Price tells us all about it. And it's going to be July 30th through August 2nd. And Greg will give you all the details on it uh, from there. But prime time, we're going to throw it over to Greg Price. And we're going to come back, and boy, do we have a lot to say about our next guest, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. But please enjoy Greg Price. And joining us on the line tonight is the man behind the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Fan Fest, which is July 30th through August 2nd in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Hilton University Place, and that is Mr. Greg Price. Greg, thank you for joining us. Thanks, John. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate you guys having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Now, the the NWA Legends Fan Fest has kind of become a uh, very, very fun annual event. And I know, judging by the guests that we've had on that uh, have attended your event uh, as a uh, talent, uh, love it, and they talk about it, and that's why they go back every year. But uh, tell us about this year's event and some of the special events that you have coming up. Uh, this year's event is all geared around a documentary 
that we've been uh, producing the past couple of years uh, on wrestling in the Carolinas and Virginia, basically the old Mid-Atlantic Territory, uh, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. A little different uh, a documentary, a little different way in that uh, we don't have an agenda, we don't have a script, uh, we don't have a, you know, a story that we're trying to tell, but the way that the, uh, uh, the director, John Andoska, has approached this film is that it's told, uh, the story's told uh, through the memories of the people that were a part of it, the fans, uh, the wrestlers, the promoters, uh, and, you know, that were a part of wrestling uh, in this area, you know, for three decades. And, uh, you know, there's territorial wrestling that is no more, and, and uh, there really is an opportunity to to document the good old days and, uh, and what wrestling used to be like. Um, you know, there just aren't that many avenues to, uh, to do that. And uh, this project's been uh, really re- rewarding uh, personally in that, you know, I get to go back and relive my childhood memories every year with FanFest, but talking to all these different people, uh, not just talent wrestlers, but, you know, fans as well, and, you know, to hear them, you know, tell their stories of them growing up watching wrestling as a kid with their grandparents, you know, sitting around the black and white TV in the living room or, you know, going to their first uh, live wrestling matches and, you know, to just you know, to, to see and to hear, uh, you know, them tell their stories. It's just, uh, you know, not only was this a sort of a magical territory and that it was so good, but uh, but it, it, it left, you know, an impression on folks Again, not from this area, but from all over the country, really, that here, uh, 30, 40, 50 years later, uh, we're still talking about it, and a lot of us still get together every year in Charlotte for a little family reunion, uh, you know, to celebrate those times. So it's uh, it's a really special uh, uh, film project that uh, we will open up this year's Fan Fest weekend. Uh, with the world premiere of this movie. The movie's called Mid-Atlantic Memories, and uh, we'll open up with the premiere on uh, on Thursday night. Uh, Jim Ross, uh, Hall of Famer, WWE, is the uh, narrator of the film, and uh, he'll be here to host the, uh, host the premiere, uh, as well as afterwards he'll do his first uh, ringside with Jim Ross to the Southeast. Uh, you know, to our fans that come here. But that's just opening night. We have four huge days of uh, everything, autographs, photo ops, uh, merchandise vendors with all kinds of wrestling memorabilia, uh, wrestling matches, question-answer session, uh, a Hall of Heroes dinner and awards ceremony on Friday night, uh, live music, uh, a little bit of everything, uh, you know, for the wrestling fan, you know, certainly invite anybody that uh, that isn't planning already or has considered it in the past to come out and be a part of it. It's a, it's a great weekend. We have a great location. It's the Hilton University Place Hotel in Charlotte. The Lakeside Hotel it sits on the lake all around the boardwalk of the lake are all kind of shops and restaurants. So if you're a guy and your wife hates wrestling, you know, you can come to the convention, your wife can go shopping. But uh, it's that type of atmosphere. It's uh, a lot of fun, and, you know, I'm biased, of course, but uh, I don't think there's another weekend like it. There are certainly autograph signings, and there's autograph shows and wrestling conventions, but there isn't another four-day convention. And, uh, I don't think there's anyone that does conventions quite like we do. And that's... Uh, and that's not, uh, you know, being arrogant. I think it speaks more to the people that come to our shows. People travel from all over, not just the Carolinas, Southeast. We have people traveling 40-something states and several different uh, foreign countries to, to be here. And it's just a really special weekend. 
Yeah, and you did your first convention in 2004. And I guess uh, between 2004 and now, did you uh, always have the documentary as something in the back of your mind that you wanted to do, or is it something that just came about the last couple of years? No, I wish I, I wish I did because uh, we would certainly have a lot more uh, content, uh, you know, to to include uh, a lot of the folks, you know, that were a part of our fan fest weekend, you know, uh, ten years ago are no longer with us, and I would certainly love the opportunity to have folks like Ernie Ladd and uh, sensational Sherry Martell and. Riff Hawk, Sweet Hampson, and folks like that, you know, that have been to our fan fest, just, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, they've gone on, and uh, we don't have that opportunity anymore, and a couple years ago, you know, we just uh, wanted to, to, to do this, you know, because uh, there's nobody out there that, uh, that's writing wrestling history now, the only folks that are are trying to rewrite it. And uh, and it's just uh, you know it's a shame you know not to be able to you know share uh, you know what actually took place and you know rather than me telling the story you know the guys are telling the stories it's straight from the horse's mouth so there's no uh, you know there's no editing you know anything like that of what actually happened it's the memories of. You know, the people that lived it, the people that loved it. So, uh, can't go wrong there. Now, this fan fest is like no other, you know, out there, bar none. And you are having a ceremony. Who is involved in the ceremony and who are you honoring? Uh, this year, the only two people that we have announced so far are the tag team of Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. There will be others. We haven't made the complete. Uh, uh, class of 2015 uh, public yet, but that'll come in the next few days. Uh, but we, uh, two of the people that we're honoring are uh, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, a tag team that was, you know, very not only very popular but very important in the history of Mid Atlantic wrestling in this area. Uh, you know, early 80s from, you know, a great tag team feud with Sergeant Slaughter and and the privates, and then, uh, you know, going on from that to, to the first, uh, uh, you know, beyond the first Stargate and, and uh, wrestling Jack and Jerry Briscoe, and the first time that Jack and Jerry Briscoe had been heels anywhere, and, you know, just took uh, the tag team wrestling in, in this area to, you know, a completely new level, and Steamboat Forces is going to be here at FanFest. Youngblood has passed on uh, for several years, but his, uh, his brothers, uh, Chris and Mark, uh, you know, will be here to accept the award on his behalf. It should be a fun night. Uh, you know, we have uh, 300 or so wrestling fans, all the talent from, uh, you know, from the weekends that are there, uh, sitting amongst one another to a nice buffet meal and and uh, then the award ceremony following that. Tim Cornette is the host of uh, our Hall of Heroes award ceremony. Anytime you give Cornette a mic, you're in for, uh, in for a treat. <laughs> that is definitely, definitely true. And uh, speaking of giving someone mic, and, you know, mic and um, you know, being in for a treat, you also have a special Q and A with the Honky Talk Band. What is that going to be like? Well, no telling. Uh, one one of the changes this year to our to our schedule, and we've always tried to present uh, you know question and answer sessions on our opening night, pretty much the daytime. Uh, uh, the rest of the day, pretty much relegated to photos, photo ops, autographs, uh, vendor room, merchandise, all that good stuff. This year we're giving uh, you know folks a little more opportunity. It's not just about autographs and uh, and pictures. You know we're giving them more opportunity to you know, sit down with these guys. Not only hear them talk, but ask them questions too. And, uh, we have some great uh, Q and A's lined up. Honky Tonk Man is, uh, is definitely one of those. And, uh, everyone knows Honky Tonk Man. And, uh, 
has free reign to say whatever he likes, just like every fan has free reign to ask whatever question they like. And when you end up in a no holes barred uh, scenario like that, then uh, you know it uh, it makes for you know very entertaining uh, uh, question and answer. Yeah, that that should be absolutely great, and it's very unique. And another unique thing is also there is a pool party. What what is that? Like who's going to be hosting it, and what is that all about? Uh, so Calaval and uh, Angelina Love are hosting a pool party on uh, Saturday afternoon. Again, it's just something that's unique and different to uh, to FanFest. Um, you know, a couple of uh, hot girls and, you know, wrestling fans and uh, a little bit of everything. It's just, you know, an opportunity to, uh, to do something different, you know, get people a little bit out of their element, out of, you know, the ballrooms, out of, you know, the autograph lines or picture lines or whatever, and just the way to kick back and relax and have a little bit of fun with the pool. Yeah, I think that will definitely work with uh, some of those wrestling fans wanting to see those two, uh, you know, out by the pool. I think that is definitely unique and uh, something special there. But can you also talk about who else is, is on this guest list? I know we talked about Ricky Steamboat's going to be there, and obviously Honky Tonk Man and Jim Ross and Jim Cornette, but who else is going to be at this unique fan fest? Uh, Rob Van Dam is here, um, Road Warrior Animal, uh, Scott Steiner, uh, Ivan Koloff, uh, old school wrestling announcers, Bob Caldwell, Lance Russell, uh, of course, Jim Ross is here, uh, Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, um, probably tons and tons that I'm, uh, forgetting at the moment or overlooking and, and shouldn't be, but, uh, there's just all kinds of folks, it's uh, it's it, it, in name. It's Mid Atlantic Wrestling Legends, and you know we are biased. We have a lot of uh, you know old folks that are you know old timers that are here, but you know there are folks like RVD and Steiner and uh, guys like that that are here as well. Uh, you know that will uh, you know be a part of the weekend. One of the one of the things that we do. One of the other many things that go on during the weekend. We have a a four-day uh, training camp, and uh, we have uh, uh, prospective wrestlers, young wrestlers from all over the country, all over the world that uh, come in for an opportunity to spend four days at the, uh, it's uh, called Dr. Tom Pritchard's Future Wrestling Legends Training Camp, and it's a camp that uh, Dr. Tom uh, heads up, uh, but he's also got a, a really eclectic group of uh, coaches with him. And, uh, you know, you got coaches like uh, Les Thatcher, Jerry Briscoe, uh, Rip Rogers, uh, Nigel McGinnis, and uh, Lance Storm, uh, you know, that just provide a unique training opportunity for, uh, uh, you know, a, a young guy or a young girl that's trying to make it in the business and, Know, trying to advance to that next level, so we try to have a little bit for everybody, uh, you know, when they come to the weekend. Uh, the training camp is just a part of it. Yeah, that's really, really awesome. Like another addition to all the other unique and creative and awesome things that are down there, but also the training camp. Doctor Tom is a great coach, great trainer. And then you just named just all the legends also that are also going to be there. So that is also great. But are there any surprises in store this year for the Fan Fest? There's always surprises. You know, uh, uh, we always have surprises, you know, but uh, but they're surprises. <laughs> yep, definitely. Now, who is the guest that you are most looking forward to uh, seeing this year? You know, it's uh, it, 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 it's impossible to say. Uh, I look forward to seeing everybody, and uh, after recent events, you know, it just solidifies my belief uh, in that. Uh, we had Dusty Rhodes last year. Uh, we had Ox Baker last year. Uh, you know, you never know uh, at an event like this when it's going to be your last opportunity to see somebody. And uh, I just like to take every opportunity I can 
I'm happy to see all of them, you know. So I, I, I don't have a favorite, you know, when it comes to, you know, who I'm most looking to see. But, you know, I, I like to spend a little bit of time with all of them. But uh, but ultimately, you know, it comes back to, you know, it really is like a family reunion. You know, you want to go so, you, you know, you see your aunts and your uncles and, you know, you might not get to see them next year. And uh, similar situation, not, you know, not trying to be morbid, but a lot of, uh, you know, it does come down to that. You know, you want to see your, uh, you know, the people that you uh, that you admire, you grew up uh, uh, watching as a kid, and uh, just an opportunity to see them and interact with them is, uh, you know, is important. Totally, and without a doubt, that's very well said. Uh, and the website is nwalegends.com, and again, the Fan Fest. It's the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Legends Fan Fest, July 30th through August 2nd in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Hilton University Place. We really appreciate your time, Greg, but please also tell the fans of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling where else we can find all the information about you and your convention. Thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate it. One thing I'd be remiss if I didn't... Uh... If I didn't say, we talked about the uh, the documentary, uh, Mid-Atlantic Memories, and um, if folks want to check out that specific website, it's midatlanticmemories.com, and uh, right now folks can pre-order uh, the premiere edition of the DVD uh, that folks will, uh, will see that we premiere here on uh, July 30th. Uh, folks can uh, pre-order that now, they can get free shipping, they also get a free autographed collector card of either Jim Ross or Jim Cornette that they'll only get by pre-ordering the DVD. And, uh, they can do that at midatlanticmemories.com or they can go to nwalegends.com. There's a link on there for Mid-Atlantic Memories as well and uh, and find out about the pre-order for the DVD. But nwalegends.com, the next couple of weeks it'll be updated uh, like on a daily basis. So, uh Check there for all the information. Uh, come be with us if you can. Uh, we'd love to have you. And, uh, if you can't, you know, uh, support the DVD. We'd certainly appreciate that. And uh, it's a labor of love for uh, for all of us. You know, uh, anybody that uh, you know appreciates what wrestling used to be and and uh, you know wants that story to uh, you know to live on. And John, we are back. And this is kind of the moment that we have been waiting for. Now, it was a great lead-in with Greg Price and the NWA Legends Fan Fest because our next guest has quite a history, and as I said before, will be honored at the banquet dinner at the Fan Fest. And that is a man who you and I spent a nice weekend with. You on a Saturday, me on a Sunday. And, of course, we want to throw a perfect little shout-out to the Lakewood Blue Claws and the Frederick Keys for giving us access to the man, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. What can you tell us about your experience with the Dragon? Oh, well, I mean, uh, probably going to sound like a huge mark, if, if you will, but uh, I was so excited that I got the opportunity and the chance to uh, get some alone time with the steamer himself. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Just when I got to the Blue Claws, you know, you get the media pass, you know, um, you're really not sure what's going on because obviously he's not just sitting around. Obviously he's got to meet the team. He's got to sign some autographs. He's got to throw out the first pitch. You know, I'm sure he's got to meet the staff and everything. So I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, and he definitely had a full plate. So I wasn't sure, um, you know, how much time exactly I was going to get with him. So you know, they bring me down to the conference room. They basically were like, boom, hey, you know, here you go. You get get some time with the the legendary Rick of the Dragon Steamboat. And basically, just me and him alone in the conference room, and I got to uh, ask him some questions that I've been dying to ask him for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I had a similar experience uh, the following day and waiting for him in uh, in a media room and basically uh, escorting him right into my chair to sit across from me. And uh, I picked up the pieces that uh, we basically worked out. You'd be handling uh, a lot of the uh, NWA. Uh, Rick Flair stuff, and I would handle the WWF stuff. Uh, but again, yeah, you know, the Frederick Keys really, they just they hooked us up with the accommodations and the access and uh, couldn't have asked for a better experience. And, you know, just like how you were, the, you know, the off-air conversation that I, I was able to have with Ricky was just 
you know, out of this world, and we got to talk about, um, you know, his work that he did with Ring of Honor, which you and I have a lot of uh, funny reflections about when it comes to Ricky Steamboat, and uh, as well as, you know, how the health of his son Richie is uh, after he had to retire because of basically the same injury uh, that Ricky Steamboat had to retire from. But, uh, you know, let's just touch on it really quick, and that is the Ring of Honor run, because you and I have very fond memories of it, and the interactions that we actually had with him in 2004 are pretty, uh, pretty fun. But uh, do you remember one in particular that uh, usually it stands out to me um, about, uh, you know, running into him after a show? Do you remember what he said to us as we were leaving? You know what? No, I don't. I don't remember what he said, but I do remember him getting one of the loudest pops in the history of uh, yeah. Ring of Honor. I mean, I've been to 100 Ring of Honor shows, and he might have been the loudest pop I've ever heard in one of the shows. He said, and I quote, because this was just as he was kind of getting testing the waters of getting back into uh, you know, the WWE at that point as an agent, and he was kind of getting involved physically with CM Punk. And we saw him coming out of the building. He gave us a big, big high five, both of us. And he looked at us and he said, I'm way too old for this shit, and kept on walking. I don't know if you remember. That just, <laughs> yeah. I always love yep. that story. Yep. That, to me, yeah. was just, that was so funny. Outside yep. the building. Yep. And uh, also, though, and we touched on it in my conversation with him, but you and I had a long conversation with him about WrestleMania four, And that was one thing that was a hot-button issue for us to touch on in the interview. But uh, do you recall our conversation with him from around that same time period, that 2004? Oh, yeah, he was fired up. Uh, it's funny because once you meet these, some of these guys at autograph signing, first of all, you don't know how friendly they're going to be. Second of all, you don't know how long you're going to have with them. And, like, thirdly, it's like, are they going to rush me through? Do I just get an autograph and that's it? Or will I be able to talk to them for a minute? But with Steamer, he's so nice that, uh, you know, he, he gave us, obviously, more than a few minutes. I mean, we felt like we were talking to him for about 10 minutes or so. But it was great. We were just like, hey, man, you know, talking about whatever. But then we threw in kind of like, like, why did Greg Valentine beat you at WrestleMania 4? Shouldn't you have beat him? And then in the next round, lost to Macho Man, you know, to quote-unquote do the honors, uh, because you beat him the year before. And then, oof, boy, did that get him started on <laughs> on uh, something great. Exactly, which is why I had to go right back to the well and get the story again, but this time recorded. Um, and I'll tell you, from talking to him, you know, over 10 years ago, the story has not changed. He just, he's just as animated and still does not know why they did not book the uh, Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat 2, if you will, uh, the follow-up. Could be because, you know, if you think about it on paper, Hogan Andre was a rematch from WrestleMania 3. And even though it made sense, I mean, to have two rematches on the same show a year later, eh, maybe doesn't, you know, make a whole lot of sense. But I'm sure we can find... Uh, a big show versus Mark Henry or a Kane versus, uh, you know, Mark Henry or somebody else versus Mark Henry that's happened back-to-back uh, -back years um, right now in the WWE. But uh, is there anything else that stands out to you about your talk specifically with uh, with the man himself? It was just awesome to be able to get to talk to him about all of the NWA stuff. I mean, when we talked about Dusty Rhodes, it was interesting because he started out with, well... Yeah, because you think it's going to be very positive. Like, well, I have a little different experience with Dusty. And basically, he tells uh, both sides of the coin, uh, both positive and maybe a little bit of negative. But towards the end, obviously, I mean, he talks about uh, what changed and what made it more positive. But um, talks about Rick Rude a little bit, which is awesome. And then, of course, talks about, woo, the nature boy. Talks extensively about Ric Flair, their feud, their awesome matches their chemistry, the family man versus the nature boy. And then he tells a great, great, great story about what he considers to be his favorite match that he had with Ric Flair, which I thought was almost impossible to pick, but he picked a good one. And while he's telling the story, uh, me and him are both like getting so into it and so involved. You know, I, I feel like I'm in the ring. Maybe you know, I feel like I'm right there watching the matches he's explaining from a, a 1989 house show that he had against Flair. So it's just, Awesome stuff, but I don't know about you if you had a similar awesome, like, uh, mark-out moment while you're interviewing uh, the legendary Rick of the Dragon Steamboat. You know, I was, uh, I, I, I can't say I had anything as uh, animated as, as that, but I did actually, I talked to him about it before we sat down, and he did recall your conversation, and 
want to say how it was great, how much he was getting into it. Um, but I love at the end, and we were kind of running short on time, and I was getting the rap sign from uh, the folks at the Keys, unfortunately. But he started to go into detail about uh, the repackaging as the dragon. And, um, you know, he was really... He was really, he was starting to get into it about how, learning how to breathe the fire. And again, this is a story that I, I've kind of heard before from him. And uh, it's just great to hear him tell it, you know, in front of you. And he's getting into it and he's talking about learning how to breathe the fire. And it was just, uh, it was another fun, it was just fun. I mean, all around, it was a great experience. Again, we really thank uh, the Lakewood Blue Claws and the Frederick Keys for their assistance in the matter. And hopefully uh, in the future, we'll have quite a few more of these very unique experience uh similar to these which uh, i know you would love that uh mr primetime but um yeah as we get ready to throw it to uh, ricky steamboat and primetime you got a little two-man power trip of wrestling business to attend to but i want to say as i mentioned earlier we have a very special promo running with our new sponsor meow box and that is you get 10 percent off your order by entering the code POWERTRIP10 at MeowBox.com. Again, it's 10% off your first order at MeowBox.com with the code POWERTRIP10 in all capitals. And again, they're brought to you, uh, today's episode is brought to you by them, and it's a special code just for our listeners. But Primetime, you, my friend, are the man who's got his other tag team partners in right next to him, and that's a little Lucy. But what can you tell us about MeowBox? Oh, yeah. Not only that, but uh, your Meow box is, can be personalized by hand with your cat's name written on the inside of the box. All of the edible items are made either in the United States of America or in Canada, so you at least know where your ingredients are coming from. Also, uh, when you buy a Meow box, they have a little bit of thing called One Box Cam, which means every Meow box purchase, they donate a can of food to a shelter cat on your behalf, so that is Awesome. I, I love uh, giving back, and you should as well. And also, the most important thing for me, because a cat like mine, we, Lucy, who uh, who is right next to me, as always, she loves to follow me around, and uh, i got to say I don't mind, but um, she does have a special diet. So now, if you have a meow box and you have a cat like mine, like Lucy, who does have a little bit of a special diet, a little bit of uh, some things that she can and can't eat, Meow Box does do a special one with no edible items. They can actually replace the food and treats with more toys and surprises, which is awesome. So, folks, that's meowbox.com. Please enter our promo code POWERTRIP10, all capital letters, and receive 10% off on your first subscription. Again, it's meowbox.com, and enter the promo code POWERTRIP10, all caps. Now, on to the episode... Of working a dragon steamboat, but before I get into my little intro there, I just have to say you can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear some feedback. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at WrestlingPal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, the website tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And now, without any further ado, one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time, the Dragon, the former Intercontinental Champion, the Hall of Famer, the former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and one of the greatest professional wrestlers in ring that you will ever, ever see. He is the legend himself, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Please enjoy. All right, I am here with the legendary Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Hall of Famer, of course, former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, as well as a former WWF Intercontinental Champion. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you, thank, thank you. you, thank you. Now, Mr. Steamboat, first and foremost, just wanted to talk... Call me Rick. Oh, I'm sorry. You said it before, I'm sorry. Uh, Rick, um, just want to talk about memories of a wrestler I, we, we actually got the privilege of talking to before uh, he passed on, but I know he's a big part of your career, especially in the NWA and everything else, was uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rose. Do you uh, have fond memories of Dusty? Um, I, have, I have mixed mixed memories with Dusty. Part of it being business and then part of it being... Um, the business part is when I was actively wrestling and he was actively wrestling and then later on um, 
when we were both uh, coaching and teaching at the WWE school uh, for the up-and-coming wrestlers at the wrestling camp. Um, understanding the business part of, of it, uh, he was doing a job in which he had to do. And that uh, at the time, that was in the Carolinas. Um, I'm going to say back in um, 84, 1984, in which the phrase that I will use in our business, he was the booker, which is like the matchmaker. And it makes it kind of hard uh, when you have the harder for me and everybody else uh, when you are the booker, the matchmaker, and you also are still actively wrestling. Right. Um, a lot of the guys that were bookers in, uh, in different territories around the country were mostly guys that had been retired from the ring. So they, did, you know, uh, they weren't wrestling and, and then also penciling in themselves mm. in, in uh, specific matches. Um, and so, but, you know, and I didn't come to realize this uh, until maybe a couple of months ago. And the only reason why is because the subject of uh, Dusty Rhodes came up again. And I think it was the very next day that he passed. Hmm. And um, I was in the Carolinas, and Dusty was the new booker in the Carolinas, and Dusty was wrestling as a, he's always like a good guy. And I've right. always been a good guy, which is a baby face, if you've ever heard the phrase. Yes, of course. Yes. And, um, um, and, and the way things that he was writing, uh, me being one of the, the top babyface in the Carolinas and having a ton of matches against Ric Flair, um, in the sense, and it's just being smart business, using me in a way, and then um, him coming in, and whoever I couldn't beat, he would beat. Hmm. <laughs> I see, see what you mean, yeah. So the fans in the Carolinas would say, God, Ricky couldn't beat him, but Dusty could, so God, Dusty's much better, or is better. And it sort of left a bad taste in my mouth, and that was one of the reasons why I left the Carolinas, and at that time I went to the, when it was the WWF. Right. And Vince McMahon, Jr., and um, George Scott, who was the booker, there's that word again, <laughs> and welcomed me to come to the, to the WWF, in which at that time my career jumped and went to another level. And here it is. Almost 30, 30 years later that um, I realized that because of the situation in the Carolinas back in, the, in 1984 and 1985, which caused me to leave, I gave my notice and left. Um, and then my career took another big bump up. And I looked back and I said, you know, Dusty, I got to really thank you. <laughs> right. You know? Yep. I got to really thank you for that. Definitely, and it wasn't until just a couple couple weeks ago, day after you passed it, I, I'm still, it dawned on me. Hmm. A little slow thinking, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it took you a little bit. Yeah, but, yep. But another guy who obviously you met in the '70s, but you wrestled in the '80s, even wrestled in the '90s. The greatest feud wrestling wise of all time, best chemistry, just amazing matches. I mean, you could literally count how many five star matches you guys had. You know, Dave Meltzer five star matches, just yeah. off the charts. You and the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Yeah. What was it like wrestling him then in the seventies, then in the eighties when you guys put on the greatest matches ever, and then in the nineties when you guys are still putting on classics? Understand, you know, uh, when I first met Ric Flair, and that was nineteen seventy seven in the Carolinas, that I was still and always will be in the learning process and he taught me so much the, the first couple of years that we were wrestling against each other um, just teaching me stuff that uh, you could only teach at the moment that it happened hypothetically you just can't sit and say okay well, if we did this this and this and then what would you do to react to right. that you know um, because most of the best stuff that comes out of an individual uh, in, the, in the course of a match is um, him playing off of what just happened and for that moment. How do you capture that moment? How do you capitalize on it? And then maybe take it farther. And it's hard to just do it sitting, talking, and having a meeting. And when you're out there and participating and getting a crowd reaction and listening for that, and you get firsthand on... Um, on what to do right and what to do wrong. Early on, I was doing a lot of things wrong, and Flair was forever correcting me. 
Hmm. And he, he was teaching me. Now, that being said, we fast forward a couple of years, and him and I are still having feuds. We had feuds in the Carolinas for almost eight years, hmm. on and off. And um, my light bulb kept clicking on. And I said, oh, I get it. I, yeah, I, I see what you're trying to say. And um, that was when the chemistry really started to flow. Um, not, he wasn't teaching me to think so much of what um, he would do. Is think what would Ricky do? What would Ricky Steamboat do? Because I can't do what he does because then you're you're wrestling a, a clone, you know. Right. And we need to make this opposites. So even though that he was trying to teach me and describe it to me, I had to put it in a way that I think would make it work for Steamboat. And then I found the way. Hmm. And so if it wasn't for him, early in my career, of taking the time. To God, I guess, you know, mentor is, is the correct word for him and teaching me. And then finally we, we could gel and um, it, we, we wrestled each other so many times that I didn't even have to, uh, we knew exactly what was going to happen uh, at the moment. Hmm. He would do something in the ring boom and I would know what to do to follow it up and then he would know what to do to follow that up and then I would follow up what he just did. And it would just keep bouncing back and forth. And guys in the locker room would come back to us after the match and say, how do you guys keep that one moment and stretch it out? And just it just keeps rolling, hmm. you know? Yeah, it's funny. It's the nature boy against the family man. It's like yeah. two polar opposites. Right. Somehow it comes together. The greatest chemistry ever. Chi-Town uh, Rumble, 89 yeah. is awesome. WrestleWar 89, probably the greatest match of all time. I don't even think yeah, there could be an argument. Maybe there could be. Maybe on your end. Not, not from mine. Um, Clash of the Champions 6, awesome yeah. match. And then even in 1994, one of my favorite matches, which I think almost is underrated, is uh, Spring Stampede 94. Yeah. You and him go at it again. Just amazing stuff. How does that chemistry just come together? It's just, just you guys click at me. He chops you, you chop back. It's just just fire in the ring. It's unbelievable. Um, well, you, you said it. Um, you know, you, it's like Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I could give you examples, I just can't think of any on the top of my head, but, you know, guys that played tennis, McEnroe and, and, and uh, Connors, you know, uh, they clicked, you know, even though they were total opposites. Yeah, just like you and Rick, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, don't, I don't think it comes along that often, you know, uh, but when it does, it really stands out. And, and I'll also understand that... I don't think I worked with any one guy more times throughout my career than Nature Boy Ric Flair. Hmm. I had some great matches with Randy Savage. Yes. Um, WrestleMania three. Um, that that to me has got to rank right up there in the top three, you know, and the others being with Flair. But uh, um, we really didn't work with each other that much, you know. And who's to say that if Savage and I had a long run of two, three, four years of bouncing back and forth with each other, what we could have done. You know, that was just a, a six-month, you know, space and time with, right. between the two of us. You know, from the time he, he dropped the bell in my throat until the time we had uh, WrestleMania three, and then we had some returns after that. It, it was just a six-month period. Yeah, definitely. Now, I was actually going to mention um, another awesome wrestler that it was kind of an underrated feud. You and WCW had an awesome feud with Ravishing Brick Rude. Yeah. Another guy. It was just, yeah. boom, chemistry. You guys clicked. Right. Forget who. We actually interviewed somebody recently. I want to say, I don't know if it was Joe Malenko or not, but somebody was saying that you versus Rick Rude is some, and some of his favorite matches ever. Um, you know, I learned early on in my career, being a babyface, that um, to get the best out of the other guy is that I would try to adapt to the things that he, he does. Uh, his style, as instead of trying to make him work my style, right. And um, when I learned that early on, and also learning how to how to sell, and um, not die in a match, and um, one of the biggest things that I and I've I've used this phrase a lot is, um, you know, I could be out there selling, working with Ric Flair, and there's many times we do one hour draws, the, the one hour Broadways, and people were saying. How in the world can Ricky Steamboat keep selling? And I'm selling for 30 minutes. Hmm. But in the back of everybody watching, they're thinking this, and that is you can't count them out. 
he's still in the fight. Mm. Now that, to me, is the most important part of being able to tell a story and sell for that length of time is to keep the fans um, anticipating when am I going to turn this thing around, but never, never losing you know faith in me or hope and say, oh, Flair, why don't you just go ahead and beat him? You know, I don't think that thought ever crossed their mind because they would always, and they tell me this afterwards, the fans do. They said, God, you were out there forever hanging on, but I knew that you could turn it around. Hmm. I never lost faith in you. That was, that, that was the big secret on, on being able to hold, hold the fans and keep them inter- interested in, in the match. Definitely. Yeah. I could see that. Now, you and Rick Rude, was that somewhat a little bit of an opposite oh, personality too? Yeah. Well, you know, he was always, uh, he was almost like a womanizer, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, ravishing Rick Rude um, had, has his own style and his own way. And, um, you know, a little bit of a cross between some uh, uh, Ric Flair-isms. Yeah, you know? definitely. Um, but... I learned, like I said earlier, to be able to adapt myself. And a lot of the guys were saying, Ricky, you're a damn chameleon. Because it doesn't matter who you're in the ring with, you, 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 can, you adjust and you adapt. You know, it'd be different than, uh, and I've had some great matches with, well, let me throw one out there, Blackjack Mulligan, hmm. six foot eight, you know, 340 pounds. Uh, nowhere near could do the pace of a Rick Rude or a Randy Savage. Right. No. So you have to, uh, Greg Valentine, the same way. You know, he worked very much like his father. Um, you know, Greg was very slow and plodding and just steadfast. Once again, nowhere near like a Randy Savage or a Flair. We're just going, we're in fifth gear all night long. Right. You know, pedal to the metal. And I learned early on that I get the best out of the other guy when I can adapt to what he's comfortable with. And then I sprinkle in some Ricky Steamboat-isms throughout perfect yeah yeah yep yeah and that's a great like don morocco and manager mr fuji or a few. Yeah. yeah jake the snake roberts another great few yeah um, everybody having their own different way of doing stuff and uh, me i have to do my homework and, and 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 know what this guy likes to do you know and what is his pace and uh, all the guys t- tell me all of them um, he said, Ricky, you know, over the years, I've always had my best matches with you. You always brought the best out. And I always said, no, you always brought the best out on me. And that, the best out on me is knowing you. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Knowing you and knowing what you like and capitalizing on it. And sometimes even some of the things, some of the signature things that each guy would do in the match, his signature stuff, I could add a little bit of a twist to it or add a little bit of this or that to it. And, um he would be able to maybe take it to another level. You know. Yep, makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things in this whole, you know, in everybody's career, is that out there to being a performer and an entertainer, is are you able to tell a story? You were the best at it. You have to tell a story. You have to tell a story that the fans can understand what the story is about, you know. And, um, and because of Ric Flair and in the Carolinas, and because of we wrestled each other a lot every night, and we might on Monday night we might be in Greenville, South Carolina. On Tuesday night we're in Columbia, South Carolina, ninety miles apart, hour and a half difference, right? A lot of fans would come from Greenville to Columbia. So could Flair and I have the very same match that we had in Greenville the night before? No, change it up. But also understand we never talk about it. It would we would change it on the fly, in the match going forward. Do you have a favorite match with Rick? I mean, there's a million of them, but do you have um, a favorite match of all time with Rick Yes, Flair? I do. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. It wasn't taped. Oh. We had wrestled each other so many times in Charlotte at the Coliseum, and uh, George Scott, who was the booker at the time, came up and said, um, I don't care how you do it, but uh, uh, Flair is, uh, we, we, we're going to put Flair over tonight. Hmm. No problem. We've had so many one-hour Broadways, draws, you know? Yep. And he says, uh, make it something hot. Leave these fans buzzing. And you don't have to go all night, he said. You know, you're going 60 minutes 
all the time. You you know, 25, 30 minutes and really shock these people and make it hot, you know, like you cheated. So we get out there and we wrestle and it's 10 minutes, 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes go by, 40 minutes, 45, 50 minutes, 55 minutes. By now, the fans are going, oh, they're, they're going to wrestle to a draw again. Right. We have yeah. done it. They have done it so many times, they're going to wrestle to a draw. 56 minutes. Now, we get down to like, and the, back then the announcer would announce. because Back then also we had 60-minute time limits. So the announcer would announce, you know, 30 minutes gone, 30 to go. You know, 45, 15 to go, 10. And then 5 minutes, uh, you know, 55 gone, 5 to go. 4 to go. 3 to go. 2 to go. Hmm. 1 to go. We got 1 minute and this match is going to end up in a draw. And with about a minute and a half ago, here comes Steamboat, starts making his comeback. Boom, 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 boom. I'm pinning Flair over and over again. Now he's in 30 seconds left, 15 seconds left. Flair does the Iggy where he just looks at me and backs off in the corner. I charge him. He yanks my feet out from under me. I go down on my back. The referee goes down and count. He puts his feet up on the rope, second rope in the corner. The referee counts one, two, three as the announcer is going five, four, three. Two seconds left. And Flair, one, cheated, putting his foot on the rope. I look, I look up, I'm laying on my back, and I look up at the clock. It's like a, like a basketball clock, mm -hmm. four sides. Yeah. And I look up at it, and Flair's like over there. And he goes, there was a low, a lull in the, in the building. Like, whew. fans are looking at us, looking at the clock. Looking at us, looking at the <laughs> clock. And then they erupted. They started throwing stuff at Flair. Oh, man. You no good, you know. Yeah. Cheater, bam, bam, bam. And Flair looked at me before he rolled out, and he goes, we got him tonight, didn't we? And he rolls out of the ring, and he's running back to the locker room, hunker down with stuff being thrown at him. And the announcer, uh, after the match came away, he says, how do you guys do that? There was like two or three seconds left on the clock. I'm counting down as the referee's counting down. The timing you two have, I said that that's just us. Awesome, unbelievable. You know that's that is one of my all-time favorites, and it's only because of uh, the timing involved. We're joined, of course, today by the legendary WWE Hall of Famer Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And Ricky, it's my absolute pleasure to sit in front of you, and I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to get right into it, okay. and we're going to talk March 29th, 1987, 93 thousand people at the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan, Macho Man Randy Savage. But in 1985, you two had some fantastic matches that may have opened the door for the few that was about a year and a half later. What are your memories of working with the Macho Man and the chemistry you guys had right out of the gate? You know, uh, Randy Savage was a very, very meticulous and particular um, worker. Um, he was pretty much the, uh, the type of guy that thought everything out, and I, I do like that in a guy, very, very professional. Uh, wouldn't waste a move. Um, if not needed, wouldn't do it. And um, was the kind of guy that just wouldn't do something just to fill in the blanks, just to occupy time. Because everything that he did was already thought of and, and mapped out and put together, and he was a great ring strategist. Um, great guy with psychology. Um, he was the kind of guy in which I was following right along in his footsteps that uh, everything you do has a meaning behind it. You know, you do what you do because there's, there's, there's a reason why. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the young kids that do stuff in the ring today, they just do something for the sake of being active, right. for the sake of doing something. Yes. So um, uh, hooking up with him, we were, you know, brought up around the same time started around the same time in the in the early to mid 70s and um, um, our, our thought and philosophy on the business uh, we were schooled by um, guys before us and so we were very much on the same page and um, um, we gelled very 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 well together gelled just uh, you know uh, filled in all the gaps and just like two gears you know now, did those, those matches in 85 that led to about a year and a half, I said, down the road, uh, when you two hooked up, did you really see the chemistry right, out, right off the gate, or did, you, uh, did it take time to kind of 
you know, build it up and uh, get those matches in that feud, which was so memorable. The crushed larynx, yeah. we all remember, the rehab, the not being able to speak in the yeah. hospital, all that stuff that, that came yeah. down the road with that first lockup. Did you guys know right off the bat that you had that chemistry? You know, I would I will say yes. And um, I don't know how many guys would be able to uh, agree with me that uh, there are certain guys that you know when you lock up and you touch each other that, uh, and after the first couple of minutes, you know there's something there for the two of you together. You know it. It's an automatic. Um, and don't get me wrong, the, the, it's a double-edged sword because, believe me, I've locked up with guys, and a couple minutes later, I wished I wasn't in the ring with them. You know? So, yeah, to answer your question, uh, a Ric Flair... Okay, another one, a Randy Savage, a Jake Roberts, another one, Don Morocco, another one, you know, a Bret Hart, another one. There, and all these names uh, I'm, uh, our wrestling fans can uh, associate with that they're all great performers. And uh, you can feel greatness in the ring. And you get two guys that gel together, man, it's just like, it's like poetry, it's like art, you know. And you say inside the ring with a guy like Jake the Snake Roberts, but I think your most memorable moment with Jake the Snake came outside the ring. And we spoke with Jake a couple months ago when we were talking about the DDT on the floor yeah. in Providence. And I guess uh, there's only one way to go when you get in that, and that's down. But uh, if you can, if your memory uh, was affected by that, uh, what are your thoughts on that whole feud with Jake and that night specifically? Well, um, pulling the mat away and exposing the cement floor... Um, and being dropped with the DDT, which is, is very dangerous. And it ended up being dangerous for me that night. Uh, but I, I'm going to say it was a timing issue. You know, a timing issue. If my memory serves me right, whenever Jake would suck you in and pull you underneath his arm, he would always look at the crowd for a moment and then drop you. And the moment would be to, to show everybody that this is the end for this guy, that he would have a little bit of a snicker on his face, a little bit of an attitude, and then drop you. And I think the timing was off because as soon as he sucked me in, he dropped me. And I was waiting for that pause. Um, so the unfortunate thing happened is that what everybody suspects when he does do the move, yes, it did happen that my head did meet the cement. And... Um, yeah, it, it, it took me away. I had a bad concussion, and um, part of my head swelled up so bad, uh, it, it, it ballooned out. And um, um, I know I got in front of the camera with it, but, I, you know, I can't seem to find any pictures of, the, of what my face looked like because it looked distorted. Right. Yeah, and, you know, and, and that's one great thing about your feuds. Your, your emotion that you bring into it, that you guys, whoever you were working with, whether it was Flair or Macho Man or Jake, you bring that crowd in and they get behind you because the emotion was always there. Now, that feud, I guess the culmination was really the, the C&E Stadium in Toronto. Another one is, I don't, was it 93? It was about 70,000 or 80,000. Um, but working with Jake on a big stage like that, was that the plan to go as long as it did or did that DDT on the floor really help kind of bring it down a little bit further um, than maybe you were going to go initially? Well, the DDT on the floor was to uh, bring bring the two of us to an, a new level, and that was um, he was obviously trying to show everybody that he was going to destroy Ricky Steamboat and end the career. And but uh, as the Dragon would always do, bounce back. Um, the cement floor wasn't figured in the realism, but after it's all said and done and me doing promos afterwards and my black eyes and all that, it, uh, it turned something that was a question into something that was very, very real. Right. So it's easy to do promos or interviews when something really, really happens to you. And I've always, uh, in my work in the ring and also doing interviews, I've always tried to use um, what, would, what would it be like if it really happened, what's, what's the logic behind it, um, do you don't try and go way over the top of your expression, whether it be verbal or physical? Um, I t always tried to base everything that I said or did in the ring is is based off of um, you know what would happen in real life. Totally. And and I think that's one of the main reasons fans are, are sucked in by um, my work is they can readily associate my actions in the ring is and put it together and say, yeah, that's exactly what I would have done. Definitely. Yeah. 
And you say emotion now. Let's just, before we start to wind down here, the emotion that WrestleMania 4 really kind of sucked away from the fans, and that was the rematch that never happened, and that was with Macho Man Randy Savage the following year from WrestleMania 3, which, another one, I hate the name drop, but Jesse the Body Ventura told us WrestleMania 3 was the greatest match that he has ever called or seen live. So the following year, WrestleMania 4, it made sense. Macho Man and Ricky Steamboat in the semifinals, it didn't happen. What are, uh, what are your memories on that whole ordeal? You know, um... In the locker room, I was looking at the brackets because it was a tournament style, right? And then Randy, of course, went on to win the championship. And I was looking at the brackets, and in the first round, I had Greg Valentine. And I was just assuming. I said, okay, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win, win over him, get a win over him. And then Randy and I will have, you know, our return from the WrestleMania three match, in which I'm sure the fans will be very, very curious and, and, and wanting to see that. Um, it was a big surprise to me that... It never came out that way. Um, I never went to Vince or uh, the upper uh, guys in the in the company to say why. Um, if this, I was the kind of guy that um, I always felt that I could do whatever I was asked to do, and that my ability in the ring would speak for itself. And um, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of politics in our business, as there is in a lot of stuff. And there were guys that you know, have the, the boo-hoo face because they weren't getting their hand raised that night. And it didn't matter to me. It really didn't. Wins or losses, you know, just uh, checks and balances. Uh, my worry was, uh, and this was always eminent, and it always was a priority, and that is, did the match get over? That was my priority. Win, lose, or draw, did the match get over? I know plenty of guys that won. But the match was the drizzling crap. It was terrible, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh-huh. But as soon as they got their Duke raised, they were happy. Yeah. But that's not the big picture. That's not the big picture. Right. The big picture is about the match, you know? Right. And if the other guy beat Ricky Steamboat, he barely did it. Yep. You know? So. Yep. But is it also it's doing the favors, returning the honor to Randy Savage? Yeah, that would, that would have been that would have been my insistence. Yep. That would have been my that would have been only right. Now Believe this or not, when I was looking at the chart, I didn't know who was going to be in the finals right. and, and win the champ. I really didn't know. And a lot of times, even to this day, on our big shows, the WrestleManias and the SummerSlams, I talk to the guys in the locker room, and I see them all, and I know who they're matched up with. And I tell them, please, I don't want to know. I said, I want to be able to watch your match and participate like a fan. And surprise me, you know, mm-hmm. because that's that's... That's the big thrill. Right. That's the big thrill. So um, back to that WrestleMania 4. I didn't know who was, who was going to be the one to win the championship. And I knew, and I, was in, I knew I wasn't. I knew that for sure because there wasn't any meetings about it. Yeah. Um, I, my insistence was that, okay, in the second round I'll be, uh, I'll be with Randy and I'm going to return the honors and we're going we're gonna to tear it down. And God help the ones that follow that match yeah. and see if they can follow exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. But it never happened. But now, do you, like, afterwards, do you and Randy kind of cross eyes and be like, eh, you know, well, we could have had uh, another one. We never had discussion. Really? No. Oh. Never had discussion. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, it's, you know, it doesn't define it, obviously, because then you, uh, you went on to what would be one of the, probably the most memorable part of your career is being the NWA yeah. world champion. But I'm going to stick with the WWF just right now. Okay. And that is, let's talk about you go back in early 1991. Right and you're now just the dragon, Ricky Steamboat, blowing the fire. Now, you, I've known, I've heard the story, but I want to hear you say it again. It's the learning how to blow the fire and how that all came about. When you were pitched that, was that something you were like, okay, uh, we'll do the best we can with this, but it's a little out there. Well, you know, um, I came back to the company in 91, and uh, they come up with the dragon outfit, in which I was fine with. Um, the, the explanation was we want to repackage you, and I could see that in a way because, you know, I'd been Ricky Steamboat, the dragon, for so many years. But now let's just go with the dragon. And um, uh, fire breathing and blowing fire was a discussion that came up in a round, round table uh, with Vince. And he thought that uh, that would be a great idea. And so um, they actually got a hold of Barnum and Bailey. And their fire breather uh, guy didn't want to, I guess, disclose the secrets of how to do it. And they had to shop around and shop around. And finally, they got a hold of a guy by the name of Brian LaPalm in one of those little um, 
shopping center parking lot carnivals. And he was a fire breather down in Florida. So the company flew me down there. And um, the tent, the big top, their big top, which was not a really big top, but their big top had not been constructed. And he, he was so excited about He was a wrestling fan. He was a Ricky Steamboat fan. He was so excited about teaching me and showing me that he wanted to do it. He did it outside in the parking lot. And it was windy that day. And he, all, and he told me, he says, now, if you do it outside, you take your torch and you always look at the flames and make sure that the flames are going away from you. Because that way, when you blow into the torch, it's going to carry and blow away from you. If the wind's blowing in your face, it's going to blow, it's going to blow it right back in your face. And, and by the way, it was kerosene. Kerosene. Kerosene's a real dirty fuel. But when it lights up, it lights up in all the brilliant colors, the oranges and the yellows and the reds and the blues, okay? You can do grain alcohol, which is a real white, and it's just like white. But So he said kerosene. And what was funny is that he put in a mouthful of kerosene, and he's holding his torch out, and he's looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and the wind, the flames are going away from him. And just as he puts it to his mouth and blows out a mouthful of kerosene, the wind shifted and blew all the kerosene in his face. Now, I'm look, now Brian LaPalm told me he was a nine-year pro. And here's this guy running around the shopping center parking lot with his face on fire. And I'm going, um, who did they send down? One of, they sent down one of the office guys. I said, you call Vince right now and tell him, forget about it. I ain't doing it. I said, look at that pro running around, you know, with his face on fire. Yeah. The very next day, I go knocking on his trailer, he's, and he opens the door, and he's got these big, huge water bubbles. He's got no eyebrows. Mm -hmm. He was a red-headed guy, very fair-skinned anyway, and he had these big, huge water bubbles all over his face. And he just was, he, he was saving them for me because when I opened the door of this little trailer, he wanted to pop them in front of me. And then we went inside the tent, and he taught me how to blow fire. Fantastic. Well, Ricky, I really thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure, and uh, all the best.